thanks for downloading the audio podcast of this week's sermon. We pray you'll be blessed and encouraged with the words you hear. Well, thank you, Paul. No pressure. I don't feel any pressure at all. Um, I feel like I need to pray again just um, to ask for God's help, but we need God's help. Um, I'm standing up here tonight. I want to tell you a little bit of my story. I'm going on what Paul has asked me to do. A little bit of my story, or we say testimony, don't we? Uh, Because it's not just a story, because when you bring Jesus into it, it's a testimony. It's something that's overcoming and it's powerful and it transforms the room as well as transforms your life. So I'm going to start a little bit of my story, a little bit of the role that I now have within Elam, because you are Balamone. Elam Church, yeah, you see, some of you thought, oh, right, Balamone Elam Church, a little bit of that role, and then I'm going to leave to the end, the pinnacle of it all, and we'll talk a little bit about Jesus. How does that sound? Does that sound good? Okay, we're good. So my story, my story starts with an 18-year-old boy sitting on a seat in the middle of Hillsborough Bible Week, afraid Surrounded by people, but yet felt alone, popular, but yet couldn't believe that anyone could love me. And sitting on a chair the third night of the Bible week, because the other two nights I fell asleep in the chair at the Bible week. And had gone back for everybody to say, wasn't that a great meeting? Did you feel the presence of God? And genuinely, I was looking at them thinking, you guys are lunatics. You guys are crazy. But there was a couple, an older couple, and they made me tea and toast. And anybody that makes you tea and toast in my world, they are brilliant. And you see, they just showed me love. They just cared. I was one of those young people that JT's talking about. And they just encouraged me. And they asked me to listen. You see, because they asked me to listen, I was going to listen. Because they had shown me something that I hadn't seen really before. They didn't judge me. Just love me. And so that night I went in and started to listen. Dr. Paul Walker, who has a photographic memory, who preaches 80% of his sermon is just quoting scripture. And he all brought it down to this. For God so loved the world. You've heard it. That he gave us one and only son. That if you put your trust in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. And he just said, put your name in where the world is. And we've done it. For God to love Stephen. That night I was overwhelmed. And I was convinced Jesus loved me. And he just said, find someone you know who loves Jesus and ask them to help you. So that's what I did. I followed the instructions. I went out of the tent. I found a couple of guys who I'd been down at the week with. They took me into a smelly, dirty tent in a smelly, dirty field. And they introduced me to the Savior of the world. I cried. And I can honestly say I give him everything. Because genuinely, if he wanted it, he could have it. I was bulimic. I was nine stone in weight. I looked in the mirror and I hated everything about myself. He wanted me. He could have me. 
I went into the youth meeting afterwards and I, <laughs> I, I was there and I looked around. I was quite encouraged by the talent in the room being a single guy. Can't lie, just giving you reality. But then somebody stood up and they started to worship. And they made an appeal. And the appeal went like this. If you want to give everything to Jesus, come forward. I came forward. And I got surrounded that night by a group of people. Some of them I knew. Some of them, they were strangers to me. But every one of them, I felt love. And I can only put it like this. That night, I felt like I was baptized in love. A different kind of love than I'd ever experienced before. An unconditional love. And I can say now, I understand that love a whole lot more. Now, almost 40, 30 years later, I understand that it's the love of Jesus. And it started to change and transform my life. And you see, some people give Jesus a little bit, don't they? And they work through a process, and over years they surrender. From the word go, he had me. And so it looked like this. I went back to church. I was sitting in church one Sunday morning, and I felt like God spoke to me. I felt like God say to me really clearly that the people who lead the youth group in the church are going to leave the church and that you have to prepare a program. So I was 18. I had to get myself a children's Bible because they kept talking about people like Gideon and David and all this sort of stuff. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know who they are. Well, I had an idea. It was brought up in church, but I didn't really listen or care. So I started to read this. I started to read the Bible. I was, all I could do was devour the Bible, spend time in God's presence. And I spoke to the guy who would have been most influential in leading me to Jesus. And I said to him, I think God's spoken to me. And he's asked that I prepare a program for the youth because the youth leaders are going to leave the church. And he said this, well, let's not tell anybody about this. But he didn't dismiss it. He didn't look at me and go, you know, you're a kid. Someday you'll grow up and you'll understand the ways of God. He said, let's keep this to ourselves. Let's prepare and let's see what God does. So the first night back of youth from the summer, I'd get saved on the 20th of July. This is now the first week in September. There are four of us in this room. That was the youth. And the pastor came into the room and said, guys, you'll need to go home because the youth leaders have just come in to see me and they're leaving the church. And I went, sure, that's brilliant. We have got a program. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> All downhill from there. And so we started the program and the program went like this. I would give my testimony and then we would ask some people if they wanted to say anything. That was how prepared. And so, well, I shared my testimony. And over that year, we saw a youth group from four grow to 85, mainly through conversion. It was bonkers. To give you an idea of the kind of youth that was in, I remember doing a talk called GVF instead of UVF. God's volunteer force. And everybody was standing on the pews going, GVF, GVF. Just giving you an idea. Yeah. I know, I look back with fond and disturbing memories. And I see JT's mom and dad were both in the youth. 
But God did amazing things. And we watched as God just grew. We started an 11 to 13th ministry. Ross McBride, some of you would know from Portadown Elam, he was 17. He, we put him in place of leadership of it. No, child protection wasn't as through the forefront then. We were still there, but he was in charge. The pastor of the church had told us not to do it. We went ahead and did it anyhow. 40 young people of 11 to 13 turned up the first night. Four young people gave their lives to Jesus. The pastor stood up the following Sunday and said, Praise God, four young people got saved last Sunday and we've started this new youth ministry in the church. Because that's how pastors rule. (laughs) And we just saw God move. And we fast forward seven years. Myself and two other guys, one guy called Mitch and another guy called Pip, and we started to come together to pray. We sensed God was doing something and doing something with us. And so we decided to take ourselves off to Stuttgart in Germany. And we went to Stuttgart in Germany. And well, in Stuttgart in Germany, we went to a fire conference. Reinhard Bonke. Has anybody in this room heard of Reinhard Bonke? Right, this is an interactive night. Anyone in this room? Yes? Reinhard Bonke. Africa will be saved. That's Reinhard. So Reinhard Bonke was doing a fire conference. Steve Hill, who was the revival evangelist from Brownsville, decided to take one night off the revival to come to the fire conference. And well, there were these three guys, me, Pip, Mitch, sitting there, genuinely clueless, like we're not great. And we're sitting there and Steve Hill preaches. He preaches on the crown. And he sets a different trajectory. He says, the goal is not to get to heaven, but it's to have a crown that's worthy, that you can take off your head and place at the feet of Jesus. A crown that says you have lived a life that is convinced and sold out for Jesus. And that night he made an appeal, and I have never felt it since. But I hope someday I will feel it again. But it was revival. Whole families unsaved, sitting beside us, grabbing hold of each other, and just saying nothing but running to the front and flying on their faces on the front of the ground, hundreds and hundreds, to say yes to Jesus. That night, God spoke to us, and we walked the streets of Germany, talking about what God was putting in our hearts. Now we had Jesus ministries, Crown Paint ministries, whatever ministries, and eventually we came to Crown Jesus ministries. And it was birthed in the streets of Germany. The next day at that conference, Reinhard Bunke brought forward three young men from Ireland, in front of everyone. Is there anyone here from Ireland? And he commissioned us to Ireland. And Crying Jesus Ministries has grown from that moment and has shared the gospel with over one million people face to face on this island. Is there seven years? There's a pattern. God called me from there into the Ulster Temple. UT Belfast is what I call it because when you're trying to minister in the Ulster Temple and the Ormer Road short strand, the word Ulster is not great. And we were there seven years as the associate pastor and then it was there ten years as the senior pastor. 
And has God been good? Absolutely. Has life always been good? No. I was sitting and I said to Sharon, there's a story that I've told honestly three or four times publicly. It's one of them stories that some people would tell everywhere they go. But I found myself in Lanzarote with a friend and we went to a place called El Golfo, which is famous for its waves. Some of you still know it. And we went down to see these waves break on the shore and me being me thought I want to get as close to the waves as possible. So there was a hole in the ground that was probably 30 feet deep. And I thought if I go around the other side of this hole and stand in a hole, my theory was that when these 20 foot waves come over, I'll be good. Brains aren't my thing, okay. So I walked around and I stood in the hole up to about here thinking, I'll be good. And the next thing this wave came and it trailed me out of the hole. The guy I was with was on the other side because he has brains. And he said he just saw a little pair of red shorts in the middle of this wave as I got slammed off the wall and off the cliff. I got pulled into the hole and I fought for my life. Tons of water coming in. And as the water just came in and I was there, the white and the pressure, I would fight with everything and then I would get to the surface. And then because this has been happening for so long, the side of the walls are all just smooth. And I'm trying to hold on, trying to grab something. And then another wave would come and it would just wash me under. And I just remember this kept on happening and every time I would fight, I would fight, I would get tireder and tireder and think, and eventually, as I held onto the rock, I just knew this was it. And a wave came in, and it took me under, and I had determined in my mind I was just going to let go and die. Stop fighting. I had nothing left. And then this little question came into my head it's clear. Are you ready to die? And honestly, I was like, yeah. And this peace came over me, and I was dying. I was so at peace. And I just closed my eyes and relaxed to drown and die. And then I heard the same voice say, even the winds and the waves obey his name. Just at that moment, the water rose up. I stepped out the top to find my friend hysterical on his face on the ground, crying out to God to save me. He was so wrecked that I drove the car home. That's how that one rolled. <laughs> and we got back to the hotel. And I can remember... The lights went out, a power cut. They were the days, you know, when you went to anywhere in Europe, the power always went out. You couldn't drink the water, and the power would go. And the power went out, and when the lights came on, he found me on the floor, on my knees, with my hands in the air, 
because I had came so close to death, I was just waiting to go. And I share that tonight because I think there are people in this room need to know. The wind and the waves obey him. You're looking at the chaos. And you're thinking your only option is to surrender. Give up. He's in control. So Jesus has taken my life on a crazy journey. In UT Belfast, we had an Indian church. And to be honest, that would be one of the highlights of my ministry. I'm an East Belfast boy. I ran the streets. I never thought I would have an Indian church with 225 converted like Hindus and things. That I would baptize converted Hindus in Belfast. And that I would gain family and brothers and sisters. I have so many things I could talk about. But really, God is good. And what about this role? Well, the role is to see the Elam movement in Ireland become alive to its missional potential. Sounds good, doesn't it? On mission together, from grounding to going. Creative. Yes, you are impressed, I can see. I can see all your eyes go, this is good. For everyone, for Ireland, always. What does that mean, really? Well, to be honest, at the moment what I'm doing is prioritizing relationship with the leaders and churches across Ireland. I'm responsible for bringing direction and strategy to evangelism and the missional strategy of the movement in Ireland. And I think the best way to do that is just through relationship. I need to get to know people. I need to get to know churches. Because do you know that Balamoni is not the same as Belfast? I know you know that. Because I bought a car once in Balamoni. And I had to call my sister-in-law who lives in Balamoni to come around and translate what the guy was selling the car was actually saying to me. (laughs) That is a true story. (laughs) And Sharon's going, but why did you tell it? Why did you tell it? You see, everywhere is different. And I acknowledge that. And I don't want you for a minute thinking that I'm this guy who thinks he can ride in on a white horse to save the day. Jesus is a saviour. But what I do know is we're part of an Elam family. And I started with my story because I want you to hear that. You see, the Elam family is not perfect, but neither is my family. No, every one of us have that weird uncle that we teach our kids to hide behind the sofa when he wraps the door. No, that, that's a family. And Elam's just the same. But it's family. And if I wasn't in Elam, if I hadn't have gone to a Bible week ran by Elam, if I hadn't have been surrounded by people who loved me unconditionally, I wouldn't be here. Elam's my family. And we all have a responsibility then to be part of the journey and the story of Elam. There's the equipping, there's the training, there's all of those things that, no, you don't need me to tell you, they're common sense we need to do. Church planting, church replanting, it's a bit of controversy, throwing that in there. Church replacement, even more controversial, but not shy of that. 
church development. But together, ultimately, we do something. So Bangor Elam, well, I'm involved in, we're going to do a church plant in the Port of Ferry. We're going to plant two Indian churches, one in Antrim and one in Port of Down. And Donald Elam, where JT's coming from, they have announced that, they, that Davy Hume is going into Downpatrick in 2025 to plant a church. And we're having lots of conversations. That's exciting. We should be excited about that. We should get, like, celebrate. Because when another church is planted, then it's another family, it's another witness, it's kingdom on earth stuff where we believe that if we live light, salt, and we share our faith, people come to Jesus Christ. That should be great. It should be way greater than what is the response in this room right now. We should be getting excited about this stuff. And that's our journey, and that's our story. We've got a team, and we're going to build teams. We're going to build wider teams. Because I am not a specialist. I'm good at some things. Some things, really not. And so we need team. We need diversity. We need the body of Christ. So that's a little bit about the role. You're going to hear a whole lot more. It's going to be rolled out. But it's going to be rolled out through relationship. Not through my ideas. Minus relationship. Does that make sense? You got me? Cool. So I reckon I have about three minutes left. Um, Paul said to me, make sure you're over by. And I felt, I felt afraid. So I want to finish with just a thought around John 4 and the woman at the well. Do you remember the woman at the well? Most of you in here will know. And she got to this point where she was standing in front of Jesus and she said to him, give me this water. I need this water. I don't want to keep coming back here. I need this water. Can you remember the moment? I've told you my moment. It was an attempt in Hillsborough Bible Week. But what was your moment? The moment you realized that you had a thirst not just in your mouth but in your soul. And you met with Jesus and Jesus met with you. And you said, Jesus, give me this water. And you drank from that water and that water has satisfied your thirst. Some of us in here for decades. I need this water. You see, the story goes that Jesus, well, he's brought him to the well because he has to get there. His disciples, well, they're away getting food. Because that's typical disciples, isn't it? They do what they think Jesus needs instead of doing what Jesus really needs. They think he needs food. And Jesus is like slumped at a well needing a drink of water. And his disciples clear off and leave him nothing to draw water with. It's crazy. That wouldn't be church at all, of course. That would never happen. And this woman talks to him. I need this water. Do you hear I've done a lot of compassion ministry. I've worked with women who use spray bleach to clean themselves because they can't afford soap and water because they live in the streets. It's only a pound for spray bleach when you've got no money and you're homeless. Do you see her? Do you see the people around you that are thirsty? 
Genuine thirst. But, and I believe you will never see them until you see yourself in this woman. You have to see, first of all, you were the thirsty. Before you'll ever see the thirsty around you. You see, what would take a woman who would prefer to go out in the noonday sun and be alone? To face the heat of the sun than the heat of judgment and condemnation and finger pointing. Because we know the story. Now I'm looking around here, you know the story. No, five husbands. The guy she's with now is not her husband. Can you imagine how people treated her? Can you imagine the, the conversation and the gossip? Oh, lock up your husband. Here she comes. No, that's your woman. No. But she would rather face the heat of the day than the heat of judgment. This is a woman who was someone's daughter. And sometimes we can criticize instead of humanizing and seeing what's going on here. This is someone's daughter. Somebody once took her in their arms with full of hope and life and blessed her and named her and saw potential in her and had dreams for her. And now she's living this life of loneliness in the noonday sun at a well, grasping at love, rather have something than nothing at all. Do you see her? Because this is our culture. We criticize and we cancel. Not church culture, the culture. Do you see her? A woman with five husbands, and I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I thought to myself, like, how bad was this woman's cooking that she went through five husbands? I genuinely thought to myself, how on earth do you go through five husbands? What was she doing? But that's before I understood that women didn't divorce their husbands. Husbands divorced their wives. That all he had to do was say, I don't think I like you anymore. I think I'd like to trade you in for another option. I think I'd like to move on. And all he had to do was walk her into the center of the marketplace and shout out three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Could you imagine the humiliation? See, do you see her? Do we criticize or do we humanize? Do we see people through the lens of that could be our child, our daughter, our son? Five husbands. And then Jesus names it, doesn't he? If you read this story, I don't know about you, but I'm always amazed that Jesus goes there. He's had this conversation. She is like, Jesus, you have won me. I am in. No, give me this water. I am thirsty. I don't want to keep coming back here. Just give me something to drink. And then Jesus says to her, go get your husband. And when I'm reading it, I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, why? No, like, just don't mention the husbands. She's up for it. She's wanting the water. Just leave the husbands alone. But the truth is that we will never, ever be able to fully follow Jesus until we acknowledge what doesn't work so we can grab hold of the one who does. And what does that mean for us here tonight? Lots of people in this room probably following Jesus for a long time. But don't you know that sometimes 
like this woman who goes to the well. Sometimes we can have a, like a little teaspoon in our sock. Every so often. It's like Jesus and a wee visit back to the well. We better compromise. We better this. We better that. Ladle. Half a bucket. Pint glass. And we keep going back. You see, to truly understand the freedom that comes in Jesus, it involves acknowledging that nothing else works but him. It's all in. Fully in for Jesus. We'll give up the bucket. We'll give up the teaspoon. We'll give up the ladle. We'll give up everything so that we can follow him. Jesus. I'm coming to a close. You'll be glad to know. And we have this woman, a Samaritan woman, who's been told all her life by the Jewish people, the people of God, that she is not worthy. She's not worthy because she's a Samaritan. In fact, her shadow would make them dirty. She's not worthy because she's a woman. Now, the rabbis teach this stuff. No, praise God, I'm not a woman. And then she finds herself at a well and she lifts her head. And who's sitting there but a Jewish rabbi man, the person who represents everything that as a child she's been told that is wrong with her. But this time is different because Jesus looks in her eyes and she sees something different. She doesn't run away. She doesn't go, oh, but I'll make you dirty. She, 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 she talks to him and she enters into a conversation with him. She pours out her heart to him. Because he sees her. He doesn't criticize her. He looks at her with grace and he looks at her with mercy and he looks at her with love and he invites her from where she is to leave everything behind that doesn't work and trust him who will never fail. And now we get to do that. That's a win. So you're looking forward to work tomorrow? Not really, Stephen. It's Monday. You get to meet people at the well tomorrow. You get to sit beside people at the office, in the staff room, out in the van, out in the digger, doing the stuff. People who are thirsty and you have living water pouring out of you. How good is that Monday? And you can look at them like nobody else does. Can look at them with love. You're not going to criticize them. You're going to humanize them. You're going to look at them with love and with grace and with mercy. And you're going to have the opportunity to say to them, there is a water. And if you drink from, you will never thirst again. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Balamoni Elam Church.
Not a building, but a people. I thank you for everyone in here. And I thank you that you see them. That you love them. And no matter what the waves are, or no matter what the storm looks like, you are in control. And I ask in Jesus' name, that you would help us all leave here knowing that we have drank from a well. That when it comes into us, it becomes a fountain of living water out of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like any more information, have a look at our website at www.ballymoneyelam.com. Thank you.